Welcome to session 16 of the Bible in a Year commentary. If you started this series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 16th of January. Today we'll be looking at Genesis 48 to 50 and Psalm 16. But so far in Genesis, we've read through the creation of the earth, the rise and fall of humanity, and God choosing a new family to be his. This led us through the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Joseph. Joseph, sold into slavery, rose to power in Egypt, and saved the nation from famine. His brothers who sold him into slavery ended up seeking his help without even knowing it. Joseph tested their character and, content with their change, revealed his identity to them. He invited his family to Egypt, where Pharaoh offered them the very best of his land, despite the Egyptians' disdain for shepherds. As we near the end of Genesis, things have come full circle. Jacob, like his grandfather Abraham, is driven to Egypt by famine. God spoke to Jacob again at Beersheba, where his journey first began. The family that moves with Jacob to Egypt totaled 70 people. This 70 was used to symbolise the whole family, but perhaps was also a nod to the 70 nations in Genesis 10. Finally, Jacob is dying and wants to give his sons some final words, which is where we pick up today. So let's jump in with Genesis 48 to 50. We mentioned in day nine that God subverts the expected things to make it clear that he is in control. He chose Jacob over his older brother Esau, and in this chapter we see him choose Ephraim over his older brother Manasseh, and Judah over his older brother Reuben. Jacob is dying, and first of all he calls Joseph's and his two sons in. He wants to adopt Joseph's sons as his own, so that they may share equal blessing with the rest of his sons. Eventually, they would become the tribes in the future nation of Israel. This was a fairly common practice at the time. So he begins to bless them, but gives Ephraim a greater blessing than Manasseh, despite him being younger. This annoys Joseph, who tries to stop him, but Jacob explains this is how it's meant to be. When we fast forward to the time of the 12 tribes, we do see Ephraim is much more prosperous. And when the nations eventually split into two, the northern kingdom often takes on the name of Ephraim. This northern kingdom is also called Israel and sometimes Joseph. Then Jacob moves on to his own sons. I'd love to unpack them all, but for now, let's just unpack a few. First of all, we get Reuben, his oldest. But if you remember way back in Genesis 35 verse 22, Reuben thought it would be a good idea to sleep with one of his father's wives. Jacob didn't do anything at the time, but he still remembered. He decided to strip Reuben of his blessing as the oldest. He won't be the leader over his brothers. He's going to give that role to someone else. Then there's Simeon and Levi. If you remember in Genesis 34, they tricked a whole town into getting circumcised and then slaughtered all of them while they were still reeling from the pain. Jacob strips these guys of their right to land. Interestingly, down the line, the tribe of Simeon does get a plot of land, but it's completely surrounded by the tribe of Judah. As we progress through Israel's history, we see the tribe of Simeon mentioned less and less so it seems likely that eventually it just gets absorbed into the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Levi is interesting. Though this seems like a curse, God uses it for good. He claims this tribe for himself, and they become his priests and temple servants. So when they get spread across Israel, they become God's servants to the entire nation. Next up is Judah. He is given Reuben's blessing to be the most significant tribe leader over all the rest. Later on, when the tribes are wandering in the desert after leaving Egypt, we see that Judah's tribe is the biggest. It's from Judah's tribe that King David was born and all the kings that followed him. When the nation split in two, the southern kingdom becomes exclusively known as Judah. 
When the people were taken into exile and then allowed to come back, they became known as Jews, which come from Judah's name. This is the difference between a Jew and an Israelite. And Jesus himself came from the line of Judah. The last brother I want to look at is Dan. Jacob says that he shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. In other words, Dan will definitely be a tribe along with all the other tribes. But Jacob also says that Dan will be like a serpent. As we read on through the Bible, we will see the tribe of Dan struggles to claim land for themselves and a few times cause problems for the rest of Israel. Finally, Jacob dies and Joseph's brothers become scared that he might punish them now their father is dead. Instead, we get this important line. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Genesis 50 verse 20. As we looked at yesterday, this line is the heart of the book of Genesis. Right at the beginning of the book, we had Adam and Eve choose to eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Then all through Genesis, we see people take what God made good and use it for evil. But the author wants you to know that despite all of that, it is the heart of God to take what humans intend for evil and make it good. Perhaps there is evil in your life. Maybe someone is treating you poorly. Maybe you're suffering from an illness. In that case, seek God, pray to him and trust in him because it is his desire to take this evil and ultimately turn it into good. And so we finish Genesis. We've journeyed from the story of creation to Adam and Eve's fall and the decline of humanity. We read how God spread out humanity and then choose a new family to restore creation to himself. With that family, we've journeyed through the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now his 12 sons. Finally, we have a large family prospering in Egypt while the rest of Egypt are subservient to the Pharaoh. This is where Exodus will pick up as it follows the growth of the family and the resentment of the Egyptians. But for now, you finish the book of Genesis. That's one down and only 65 to go. Unfortunately, most of them aren't as long as this one. As always, just take a moment to celebrate the win. But then let's move to Psalm 16. This psalm is attributed to King David and fits into the category of trust psalm. These psalms sing of confidence in who God is. Here's a summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description see the structure properly for yourself. But we start with verses one and two, the Lord is my refuge. Verses three to four contrast between those who are committed to the Lord and those who worship other gods. And verses five to six is the Lord is my portion. Verses seven to eight, the Lord is my comfort. And verses nine to 11, the Lord is my joy. The psalm opens up with the psalmist laying out their stall, so to speak. God is the one that they trust in. As far as they're concerned, there is nothing good that can be found outside of God. Those that are equally faithful to God are an encouragement to the psalmist, but those that choose to worship other gods choose a way of sorrow. The psalmist will never make offerings to other gods or even speak their names. He wants nothing to do with them. And so he sets his eyes back on the Lord. The Lord is our portion and inheritance. For an Israelite, being a follower of God was part of their inheritance. Just like someone enjoys wealth or property being handed down to them, the Israelites see their faith as a blessing that they inherit. This is also true for us as Christians. This access to God is something we inherit as adopted children of God. The Lord is our comfort. When we are unsure or are struggling, it is the Lord who comforts us and advises us. He goes before us and protects us, holding us stable even when it feels like we're unstable. This promise is picked up in the New Testament when they talk about Jesus' resurrection. 
God did not abandon Jesus to death, but restored him to life. Because of all this, the Lord is our joy. We have the security that God won't abandon us. He offers us life. His very presence is a source of joy.